Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? How are you doing, man? Doing well. Good. Doing well. Loved the opening weekend of the league. A lot Just of people it. did. It was generally met with... Uh, there were some quibbles, I heard, a few quibbles, uh, but generally it was a big thumbs up. Yeah, it was. Uh, I really, I truly believe that, uh, like, we all knew this all throughout, and you and I harped on it extensively in our preview podcast. But I think seeing it at the Euros, seeing it now in the Premier League, like having fans back is just, it's just a game changer. I mean, I feel like a broken record saying this, but like, it just is. I, I really, I really honestly believe I'm not trying to be hokey or corny or anything like that. I really believe that like enthusiasm, joy, like those are all contagious feelings. And so like when you see a goal scored and then the camera pans to the, the limbs, just like bouncing wildly behind a goal and people hugging and like, that's contagious. Like you're not there, but you feel that those emotions through the TV set. And it just like, it can't help but alter your mood while watching a game. It just, it just, it changes the whole feel of it. You're so right. And I can't remember who the great philosopher was, or maybe it was just one of those Instagram philosophers, but I, I read, you know, one of those memes like live, laugh, love, and then they'll have like something from sword and Kierkegaard right beside it. Yeah. But, um, you know, enthusiasm is such a big thing. But like, Andrew, we talked about last season and the feeling that, oh my God, it was a drudgery of games and in front of empty stadiums. And like, we couldn't find the meaning in it. But you give meaning to something and fans give meaning to football. I'm convinced of it. Yeah, I I believe that to be true as well. Like I remember watching, you know, even you know, MLS when they went to the bubble, um, it was, I will always say what they did to put that together, have it go off relatively speaking without a hitch. I know that, uh, you know, teams couldn't, not all the, the team, the, the league was represented, but like, you know, having everyone there playing out a tournament in those conditions, it was an amazing job by the league, but like, there was something so sterile about it that like you could in, in watching it, you can never quite remove from your head that like the greater context of, of what was going on in the world. Yeah. And that's why, but that's why Andrew, the best thing about that uh, MLS is back tournament, which we will soon forget. It will recede into the back of our minds. The best thing about it was often that you could hear the shouts of the managers and that ESPN had mic'd up the managers on the sidelines and the coaches and the players. So you got that. They were giving the enthusiasm that you talked about. They were giving the meaning, uh, but now we've got like absolute, you know, psychopaths who who live and breathe the game and go every weekend and they're in the stadium and they are just letting it all out and and the first weekend from Brentford Arsenal right the way through it was just this energy this buzz and it yeah. felt right and it looked good and um and you know what it made me excited to do this podcast because there were podcasts towards the end of last season where you just felt like we are taking off games here until we get out of this utter utter, sterile, uh, pointless, and, uh, you know, often, you know, it was none of it was pointless in the sense that 
there were points, uh, uh, you know, for play there and there was European spots and there was this and there was that. But, you know, it was just drudgery. And this is this weekend was the exact opposite. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. It all just felt different. Um, one other note on the fans, um, because all of it, for the most part, it was all great, like we're saying right now. But there were like we saw this, you know, when fans returned during the NBA playoffs, people lost their minds. It was like they forgot how to behave in these situations. We saw it a little bit at the European Championship at Wembley. People just kind of forgot what like acceptable behavior is like being overly excited for an event is not an excuse to lose your mind. And sure enough, uh, prior to Manchester United and Leeds, we saw once again that people kind of forgot about like acceptable behavior as like some of the, the videos that came from that were pretty, were pretty rough. And, and it was funny, JJ, because I, I had just, have you watched the movie, the trial of the Chicago seven? I have not watched it yet, even though you keep telling me to watch it. So it's excellent. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's phenomenal, but like, it's all about the, the riots at the uh, democratic national convention um, in the sixties. And like, there's one scene where, uh, they're talking about how inside this bar, there, there's a bar and it's very high society and like people aren't even paying attention to what's going on outside of the window. And on the other side of that window, the police are about to like just go at this group of protesters. And like they keep okay. talking about how it's 60s outside the bar, 50s inside the bar. And I felt like I, I watched the movie. I've seen it a couple of times, but I, I watched it the night before. And then I was watching Manchester United Leeds the next day. And like there's video being shot from inside like a Starbucks or something. It's like people just like having coffee. It's quiet. And then like you look outside the window and there's 40 people just like killing each other in the streets over a soccer game. And I was just like, this is like the movie last night. This is it's, you know, 2021 inside the bar, 1980s outside the bar of like just like hardcore hooliganism. It was just, I don't know. Did you see that video that I'm talking about of just like somebody from inside this little coffee house, like taking the outside of people, just like smashing each other up with chairs and mailboxes or whatever it was. was I did, but like, you know, this is, this is 20, 21 years of, of, of Leeds United being out of the premier league. I'm not blaming Leeds by the way, but you know, Manchester United and Leeds fans going at it has been happening uh, for a long, long time. And uh, it gets ugly and it was Apparently, it was pretty ugly in the stadium, too, not in terms of physical violence, but in terms of some of the chants that were being sang uh, between the two sides. Uh, no, you know, kind of harping on noted moments of tragedy uh, for both Manchester United and Leeds, which is totally like that stuff needs to be knocked off. Was it but, you, JJ, that you I feel like it's you that have kind of said a couple times over the last since Leeds were promoted, basically, that, you know, last year we we didn't get the full Leeds experience because like we said, there were no fans. Uh, was it you that kind of have said like, we'll see if Leeds are everyone's second team. Once we're re-exposed to like how some of their oh, fans can be. Oh yeah. A lot of young English fans who never had Leeds in the league since they've been watching football and a lot of American fans, you know, emailing us, I, you know, I'm an Arsenal supporter and I have been for like, you know, a decade now, but boy, Watching Leeds is a lot of fun. Don't make fun like, of American just... soccer fans that have supported a team for 10 years. Don't be I, like that. I, I, I genuinely wasn't. I, genu- I, I prefaced it by saying there was English fans who haven't had 
the Leeds experience either. Yeah, but, but I know that, that voice road. you use. That's the the same voice you attribute to me when you want to make fun of me about something. Well, it was actually I was you know I was drawing on my experiences with you. I know, but seriously, there were people like I love Leeds. You know, I love watching them. It's great to have them in, and I'm like, you just wait. You just wait. Right. By the way, I'm not blaming Leeds for the violence there. Manchester no. United have had firms of hooligans in the past that could handle themselves too. So, um, yeah, that, that was the ugly side of it. But that's that's when you put masses of humanity back together who've had these like enmities for like decades, yeah. and all of a sudden they get to they get to live them out again. Um, yep. Yeah. Pretty pretty um, pretty interesting. Uh, to watch a lot of what happened at the weekend. And I have other stuff to talk about, but that's for red cards and man of the match. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get into it now. So in a few weeks, as we do, uh, we'll do our jump to conclusions podcast where we kind of, usually I think it's after the third or fourth game. I can never remember, but at that point we sort of sit back and say, okay, we have a small sample size. Let's make some big conclusions. This is kind of a, 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 a like watered down version of that. I wanted to do EPL first impressions because JJ, they say first impressions can last a lifetime. So after the first weekend of the season, I kind of want to go through uh, a couple good first impressions, bad first impressions, just things that sort of stood out that I'm now that I now have my antenna up for that maybe I didn't necessarily uh, beforehand. So I'm, you want I'm, you want to go through this? Yeah, I'm an, I'm imagining you with antenna now. So it's just beep, 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 beep. Uh, all right, my first one that I have here. We'll, we'll do good impressions first. We'll start with the good. The first one I have here is Paul Pogba. While we're talking about Manchester United and Leeds, let's talk about from that game. Um, so Paul Pogba was outstanding. Seventh player with four assists in a single Premier League game and the first to do it for Manchester United. Pogba had more assists over the weekend in this one game than he did in each of the last two Premier League seasons. Surprisingly, to me at least, he only had three assists in each of the last two seasons. Um, And I just found this fascinating because if we get like the full France Pogba experience with Manchester United, Mm. that is is potentially interesting to me. And so I was kind of like going in on that a little bit. Um, And... I think it was Nick Wright at Sky Sports who was talking about that. And he, he posted a quote from, from Ole Solskjaer, where Solskjaer says, uh, today was just in talking about Pogba and, and the way he performed and the way they unleashed him. Uh, Solskjaer said, today was just about go out there, enjoy yourself, said Solskjaer after the game. We just gave him the freedom of roaming wherever he wanted to go and getting on the ball. All the best players would want to feel our trust and confidence. And Paul is one of those who can create moments out of nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind and then listen to this. Uh, Nick Wright then posted what D.A. Deschamps said about Pogba's role during the Euros. Quote, he has a fairly free role. Uh, his position can change. It depends on the placement and movement of other players. So like you can see almost Manchester United taking a page out of the French Pogba book. France has sort of allowed him the freedom to kind of do what he wants in the midfield and roam and be a creative force. And we've always wondered, does Manchester United allow for that? Have their systems allowed for that? Well, in this game, they did. They, they very clearly did. And you saw the results. I mean, he had four assists, all of which were different in their own way, and many of which were in different parts of the field. And I wonder a little bit if maybe, and I know Rafael Varane didn't play, but I do wonder if there's a little bit of a sense of, okay, we now feel better about our defense. Harry Maguire is coming off a very successful Euros um, you know, Wambasaka, Luke Shaw, we think highly of them. They're going to slot Varane in. Uh, they're playing, you know, with Fred and McTominay. 
So they have defensive cover out there. And I just wonder if maybe they now think, okay, we feel better about this than we have in, in the recent years. Let's allow this guy to do what he does. And if he's caught out of position here and there, we think that maybe he has cover behind him and it's not the end of the world. Uh, I, I don't want to utterly reject that because he is such a talented player. And by the way, the, the assist for Greenwood was probably my favorite one. Now, Greenwood has to take it in stride still, which he did excellently. But the pass itself, the weight on it, the spin to put it right in behind, was it Strike who was running back? I can't remember which one of Leeds' hapless defenders uh, did it. But yeah, Pogba was great. But Andrew, this is... Uh, I had a conversation with some Manchester United friends of mine uh, on Sunday. And we were naming off, you know, kind of teams who were wondering, are, you know, could they be there or thereabouts at the end of the season? And I, I suggested, yeah, you know, United have just so many good players that they're, they're bound to be in the conversation. And my friend uh, just panned it. He said, no. And I said, what about, you know, what about the game against Leeds? And he said, what happened today happened last season and will happen again if Leeds set up the same way they do against United. Like, there is a huge part of that, and I don't want to step on myself a little bit because I'm going to get to that later in the bad, but there's a massive amount of what we saw at the weekend can be attributed to, yes, Man United have brilliant attacking players, but also Leeds play exactly, exactly how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would want them to. And it remains to be seen if every other team in the Premier League is going to be quite so compliant. Uh, yeah, that is true. What was it that United beat them last year? Was it five one or it was it was a similar score line? It was uh, it was six two, that, okay. um, and it could have been twelve six. But uh, it was interesting. I was reading Phil Hay and uh, the Athletic correspondent for Leeds, and he was talking about how basically when Leeds went to or when United went to Ellen Road and they played out a nil nil Leeds were much more wired in much more tuned in and were much more conservative and they just were not that at the weekend it but was... do those comments about about Pogba being allowed to just have freedom does nonsense that, does that not oh, nonsense ah uh, not in the least absolute bollocks like you look at the way United were set up when they went to when Liverpool visited them at Old Trafford a weak Liverpool minus you know the, the problems they had at centre back you know, just I, I thought Liverpool, I didn't I didn't really give them a huge amount of uh, of a chance to come away with that. And they were United were set up in that way. We've seen Fred and McTominay play the holding role and we've had Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba in the team at the same time. And it hasn't worked. And I want to see before I can believe that this is, you know, oh, we're just giving them all this freedom um, before I believe that. Before I buy into that, I need to see how United are going to play against like a low block team, team that's going to sit 18, 20, 25 yards max outside of their penalty box and see how that works out. And that's only fair. Yeah, no, this is not, I'm not saying. I'm not that buying the freedom like... thing. I'm not buying the freedom thing, Andrew. He's been like between Mourinho and Solskjaer, who is a definitely a given, um, has a much more laissez-faire approach to, to using Pogba. There's, he's, he's had freedom. I don't buy that for a second. I think the problem has been he hasn't really wanted to be there. Uh, at some points in the seasons, he's been injured and out for long stretches. You've got to factor that into as well. And uh, I, I'm wondering as well, will his head have been turned by the alleged 600,000 a week that uh, PSG are offering him to, to leave before the end of the month? Typically, when a player's head is turned for another team, they don't perform well. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know. Uh, like it's it's early, but I just I don't like we go out and enjoy yourself. But like actually, I, I would say that uh, that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says that before most games. Uh, you know, he's trying to bring back this Alex Fergian style uh, to United, and a lot of that is playing on the counter and playing with great like counterattacking play, and they certainly did that against Leeds, massively so. But I, I yeah, it's too early for me to buy into Pogba yet. Well, for whatever freedom he's given Pogba before, Pogba hasn't done that. So, I no. guess we'll see. I guess he uh, hasn't. Can you name the other six players with four assists in a game? Um, Dennis Bergkamp, mm-hmm. Jose Antonio Reyes, mm-hmm. Cesc Fabregas. Uh, a weird one for me was Emmanuel Adebayor. Mm-hmm. Um, for Tottenham, Sa- though, not for Arsenal. For Tottenham, yeah. Uh, Santi Cazorla, uh, not so weird. And I guess last season, not weird at all, Harry Kane. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Very, It's incredibly strange that the six players who have done it are compiled from just two teams. If, yeah, that those is Arsenal strange. teams. Yeah, but those Arsenal teams, the way they had, they had a lot of creators in it. In the, yeah. In the, like, but, it, but it's like Arsenal from four kind of four different mini eras. Um, it, yeah, you're right. It was really good Arsenal in 99, which was like they just come off winning a league championship and would finish second that year then there's jose jose antonio reyes arsenal which was 2006 which was the year they went to the champions league final there was ses fabregas in 2009 which was hey hey arsenal are going to be top february march and then they're going to fall away and then santi gazorla arsenal which was um, was probably around that time probably a couple years after maybe 2013 yeah uh, in the that's when that's when they really stopped you didn't believe it anymore Every season after, like, the Champions League final in 2006, you went in thinking, Arsenal look really good. And they started really well. And then they all they fell away at least three out of the five, four next seasons, I think, like after, after Christmas or January, early spring direction. Uh, what's your first good impression? I have my, one more, but we'll do, we'll do yours next. My first good impression was actually I, uh, I, I had done a little slash because I wanted to talk a bit about Pogba, but we've done that now. Uh, Rafa Benitez. Like considering the manner in which Everton conceded the first goal against Southampton at the weekend, which was a Michael Keane mini meltdown, like for them to come back and win three one was just a brilliant start for Rafa. The reception was good as well, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was it was positive. He got a win. I wonder how it would have been if they'd started off losing three or you know two one or one nil or whatever at home to Southampton, but they didn't do that. This is a, it was pretty much the perfect start. Um, they are going to play in a certain fashion, um, which I think will suit Everton's, uh, if the team has a DNA, I think it's going to suit them. There's going to be more crossing. Um, and until, if, and, and until James Rodriguez returns, uh, they're going to be a little bit more industrial. But still, it was, it was pretty good. And the first manager to manage both Merseyside clubs since the 19th century, Andrew. William Edward Barclay was the last manager of both Liverpool and Everton. He was the, he was the first manager of both clubs. So he managed Everton and then they split and then he went off and managed the newly formed Liverpool. Bill Barclay. The thing that was interesting to me that was particularly positive about this result for Everton. So they were at home and they went down to start out in this game. Mm. And last season they were, they were terrible at home and 
there's a stat out there. I think it was only that they something like collected just seven points across all of last season from losing positions. So basically, like if they were at home and you took the lead against them, you were going to win that game. Like they weren't coming back. So I think the fact that right out of the gate, new manager and just sort of like it, it almost sends an immediate message of this is a clean slate. This is a different season. Like at home, they get the yeah. win. They came back from a goal down. Like right away, the things that plagued them last year, they kind of overcame straight away. Bit so, of resilience. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, that was, you know, again, just a first impression, but that's, that's a good one because when they went down, I think with morale being what it was, you could hear, like from wherever you were, you could hear Everton fans groaning. Here we go. But they came back and won that game. And by the way, Decore's goal. Oh. Yeah. It was a super goal. It really was. And, um, the man who's played uh, 750 games in the last year scored a, go- a goal again, Richarlison. So that was really good too. Uh, I am seeing reports about uh, Amos Rodriguez drops major Atletico transfer hint. So maybe he won't be around. But um, but and if he's not, the the style of play will be will be maybe a, a little bit of a throwback. But it might suit the personnel, which is essentially what Rafa likes to do. I'd be curious who's played more minutes in the last year, uh, Richarlison or Pedri. It's got to be Pedri, right? Oh, because he was doing it. Cause, yeah, because like, didn't Richarlison get hurt for a little bit last year? Plus, Pedri was doing it in the Champions League. I don't know. Got to be, be Pedri. I don't know, but it's um, it's a lot of minutes. Yeah. Uh, my other for good first impression from the weekend, um, Tottenham. I, I had to mention this. Uh, like it was just funny to me. I, I felt like the irony was laid on pretty thick as the manager who once referred to Tottenham as that Harry Kane team watched a Harry Kane-less Tottenham defeat a Manchester City side that looked like they would have wanted to be the Harry Kane team. Um, that was, I think, not lost on any Tottenham fans who were watching that. A couple of things that made this first impression particularly interesting to me, and I wonder if you thought this too when you saw their lineup. When I saw Tottenham starting 11, I was like, this is like they know that the season starts today, right? I mean, like there were just names out there that I just, I don't know. I just wasn't expecting. Well, like Deli Ali. Well, I, well, yeah, you kind of got Tanganga. Like, yeah, Tanganga. I mean, Deli Ali, I think, only played 15 games last season. Uh, but, you know, Davinson Sanchez, Oliver Skip, Steven Bergwine, Bergwine, Lucas Mora. Like these are guys who were kind of in and out. And, you know, all of their new, like Christian Romero is, is their new signing, their big money signing in defense, but they went with Davinson Sanchez over Romero. I know he's coming off an injury and he did come on as a sub late, but like, you know, they kind of just went with like a more, I don't know. just, I looked at the lineup. I was like, Oh dear. Um, but they all played well. Like it was one of those games where usually there's someone that I can look at and be like, okay, Tottenham won, but this guy, yeah, we got to keep an eye on that. But like, I don't know who I would even say. Everybody did their jobs, and it was and it was a really impressive performance from them. And isn't it interesting that they they played with a, a counter attacking style, but it was a much better one than Jose Mourinho was ever able to affect. Well, I'm not willing to say that yet. And oh, I don't Christ. want Andrew, I, no, come on. Come on, JJ. Look, I don't want, please, God, no. I don't want to rehash this. But uh, look, Tottenham, what did Tottenham score last year? A hundred something goals. Like they had, they, they had games against Southampton, against Manchester United, where, you know, they scored six, five. So it's not unprecedented that, you know, they play well on the counterattack. Um, all right. Okay. We've well, done let, it before. All right. But anyway. Well, 
uh, uh, Sky Sports were doing a, a little bit of an, an analysis of, of what was different in terms of like, this is a counter-attacking uh, team against Manchester City, but it was much more effective and it, it played much better football and more effective football on the counter-attack. And they showed where the forward players, the average starting position of the forward players was under Mourinho versus where it was under Nuno at the weekend. And it was just more positive. And I will park it at that. I leave it at that. No, no, no one, of course it was more po- like they're going to be more positive. So it doesn't surprise me, but but we've seen them play well in the counterattack before. Uh, I'm not I'm not I will not accept somebody saying we never we haven't seen this because we have. They have played well on the counterattack before. They just all have. Right. Okay. Uh, you can be smug about it all you not want. Not being smug. I'm not being smug, but, but I have. think I think Nuno deserves a lot of credit. He um, 100%. And, of course he, he also, does. He also seemed just from like a an optics view and the way he spoke after the game, he seemed more kind of I don't know. When I think of Nuno from his time at Wolves, I see him in a jacket on the sideline and he looks kind of not miserable, but it's just kind of he was more kind of reserved. And this was London Nuno. He was wearing a little bomber jacket. No, he, he looked cool. Scene. He looked cool. He looked very cool. No, and look, he the, was the, also he was also something approaching. Uh, and, and maybe this is more 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 time spent in England. He's more comfortable with the culture and the language, but he seemed more, uh, what's the word, charismatic too yeah. in, the, in the way that he spoke. So, no, he, know, I was pretty he much- deserves He deserves a ton of credit uh, because that team was set up perfectly and they played, I mean, they played for him. And, and look, I'm not, please, 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 I'm not trying to make this to be some kind of, I wish Josie were still here. That's not what I'm doing. Uh, like, there are like seeing Delhi Alley out there, the way he was playing, he ran 11 kilometers. I think it was the most of anybody yeah. over the weekend. Like that's not, that's not the Delhi Alley we know. And like Mourinho gave up on that guy. Not, he can't play for me. Huge mistake, huge mistake. Um, so yeah, this was the toxicity is gone. That was the, yeah. my, my big takeaway watching Tottenham in this game. It's just like, I don't know the, you could just kind of like feel it. The atmosphere in that place was as good as I think I've ever seen it in that new stadium. Uh, I, I, that's another point I wanted to, to bring up was that, you know me, I, I prefer stadiums to be renovated more in like the, you know, you've got this great historical thing. Now, yes, improve it, but don't build a new stadium because some of them are soulless and we've seen that. But whatever they did with the, the sound in that stadium, when they started singing, uh, are you watching Harry Kane? Yeah. Um, like it was, it was unbelievable. And, and there was a tackle towards the end that I think Matt, Matt Doherty made on Jack Grealish in the center of the park where he went through him. Uh, by the way, I, I thought this weekend there were a lot more beefy tackles than we've seen in, in the last, maybe in the last few years, a little, a, little more, a little more left on them, which weren't maybe picked up so much, particularly at the end of that game. Tottenham were right at it. And I felt they were feeding off the crowd in that, in that regard. Well, the crowd was, it reached a point from like the 85th minute on where it felt like tackles were being cheered like goals. Yeah. Yeah. It really, it really was that. And, and by the way, I know by most metrics and by most statistics, city were the better side in this game, but I actually, you know, if you think after the 10th or the 15th minute, like how, how the game went like city did a lot of things that, you know, they had a lot of the ball, but they didn't do very much in it. And, with it rather. And I thought this was a pretty comfortable performance from Tottenham. too. I thought so too. Riyad Mahrez had an opportunity in front of goal from about eight yards out where the ball fell to him. And he just completely scuffed his shot about 20 yards wide. That was probably, I mean, I can't think of too many other chances where city got in position and I kind of like tensed up. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. I mean, and that's that's very rare in a game of this nature. Like, I'm not as much as as Tottenham had a a way of playing that would contain City. It wasn't a smash and grab. Uh, No, I didn't think so. And you you mentioned Tanganga before. I I just wanted to to mention him for a sec because I thought his performance to be going up against Grealish uh, is hard enough. But he was basically responsible for Grealish and Sterling. And the job that he did against both of those guys was commendable. I, I think I saw a Kyle Walker tweet earlier today uh, that said something like, I don't have it in front of me, but it said something to the effect of like, now that the dust has settled and we're a couple days removed, I just wanted to say Tenganga is one hell of a defender. Um, and he's right. I mean, that was that was a, probably the best performance yet from this young player for Tottenham. And really encouraging because I don't know how many more assignments are going to get too much difficult, too much more difficult than having to account for Grealish and Sterling. How good is it for Nuno to look to the bench and be able to bring on so many knows as well when he needed to and Matt Doherty. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Pretty, pretty good weekend for the old Spursies. Yeah. Um, So we'll see what happens now. I don't know if a result like that from a Kane perspective. So reports are now that, that Kane is going to be in the side for Spurs for their Europa Conference League match. Their, He's quali- back their, their today, conference right? Europa Conference League qualifier. Um so and yeah, Kane is back training with the first team. So he's he's on Tottenham. I, I don't know. I guess they're he's going to play for them. It's I don't know. It, fe- it feels very strange. It's going to take a couple matches of like him kind of re acclimating himself with the team like Eric Dyer has made a couple comments that would like lead you to believe they're not thrilled with Kane right now. No, um, they're, they're not. And I was thinking, um, I was thinking back to the last, the longest holdout I've seen of this nature in English football, because it should be pointed out. It's rarer in English football than it is say in the NFL, but it's not, you know, it has happened before Pierre van Hoydonk back in the late nineties, Andrew uh, at Nottingham forest. He held out till November and then he came back. I mean, that's obviously not going to happen here. I can't, boy, I can't imagine that something like that going on that long. No, no, but I was just laughing. Like people were upset. Yeah, no, people were upset over Kane and rightly so. Um, and people, a lot of people tweeting today, um, uh, you know, the news of him returning man goes and does job. Like as if, <laughs> you know, that's what he's supposed to be doing. But um, yeah. It, it, one, one last thing on that, because obviously we don't know what's going to happen, but the the newspaper reports were pretty much that City now, especially after the weekend's game, are going to go hell for leather to try and make sure Kane is a player of theirs. Um, Oliver Brown, the uh, football writer, tweeted this. £930 million sterling, the combined value of Manchester City's matchday squad today, and received wisdom is that they have no other choice but to buy Kane for another £127 million sterling. Guardiola is far more than a checkbook manager, but this is obscene. <laughs> it does feel like that, doesn't it? I mean, there was one point during the game when, like, before De Bruyne came on, they, they kind of, like, scrolled to Pep on the, the touchline on the side of the field in uh, the manager's box, and you could kind of see the Man City bench behind him. And I'm just kind of, like, looking at it in awe of, like, De Bruyne, Walker, Bernardo Silva... Um, it was just like, it was just like one Rodri. It was just like one world-class superstar after another on their bench. It's, I don't know. It's, it's an embarrassment of riches. It, it's, it's embarrassing. All right. That's certainly the word. Um, Do you have any other thought on city before? I know this was the good impressions that we were doing here, but while we're talking about this game, 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I read like I, I looked at them and I thought, you know, I, I saw I saw some good flashes from Jack Grealish because obviously all eyes were were on him. He's the big signing coming into the club. People like me have questioned marks over like how he's going to be used and will he be the same Jack Grealish, et cetera, et cetera. I, I would tell people to go and read um, Ken Early's piece in the Irish Times yesterday about Grealish. Uh, and it's not just about Grealish, about Manchester City and maybe how this may take a little bit longer for him to settle in. Pep Guardiola is saying that, you know, we've bought him for five years. It's not for, for just now. You know, we have him for the future. Uh, and so that process is, you know, where are you going to play him today, Pep? doesn't really matter. He's, he's going to learn their way in their system. Uh, Ken has some, he's some question marks over, over how this will work out, really. He, uh, did, I mean, he did some of the Jack Grealish things. He got fouled what five times? Yeah, um, you know, he so had that, that weird he, one when early on when he went over in the box from the slightest touch from Oliver Skip. When you thought you stay on your on your feet there and you can just get a shot off and maybe score, you're in on goal. I know. I was thinking the same thing. I, I wonder. One. I wonder if he thought maybe because it was close to being on inside or outside the penalty box, and maybe he thought I'm in it. I'm going to go down here. You're not getting those ones. Uh, if, if the weekend is much to go by, you probably won't get those ones going forward this season yeah. because of the new interpretations on VAR. And there really wasn't that much contact at all. So no, and I don't it, know. And it made it all the more funny late in the game when he, uh, as Tottenham were trying to see it out in like the 88th minute, Lucas Mora went down when he was, I thought legitimately hacked down by Grealish and Grealish got in his face. Like, you know, like, like, why are you done? It was just kind of one of those, like you of all people, like, who are you to be talking to somebody about like going down easily? Um, so yeah, we'll see how, how he comes along. Um, yeah. Cause it's, it was, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where city city end up on this and uh, on their pursuit of a striker. And if it's not Kane, if it can't be Kane, who might it be? Um, I, I don't know, but I also don't want to hear like, this the idea that if City wind up not with w- without getting Harry Kane, like I don't know, I'm not saying people will do this, but I, I want to say now that I, I wholeheartedly reject the idea that that now turns them into some kind of underdog in the season. Yeah, I don't want to hear it either, but like, you you will hear it. You know, you will hear it. Like oh well, they never got Kane. I mean, what 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 can we really expect from them now? I mean, I I really hope that that doesn't happen because they're just so ridiculous. Phil Foden's going to come back in a month. Uh, so, yeah. by the way, your your manager has set out a blueprint the last few seasons to, you know, destroy the striker's role uh, and cried over how Sergio Aguero was not replaceable, even though he Barely did his darndest him. to make sure he wouldn't play in his last yeah. season. So, yeah. Um, did you have another good impression? Yeah, just a quick one, uh, just to cover Liverpool, because really that's all I want to do, because um, I'm not the only one with doubts about Liverpool's ability to contend for a title with more or less the same team minus uh, Vinaldum as won the 1920 season. But this was a very good start. Um, slow beginning to the game, uh, gave way to a much more assured uh, performance. Away at Norwich, Norwich showed flashes. Andrew, to suggest that some of the new signings, uh, Milit Rashica, uh, Josh Sargent came on later, but Rashica is going to be a definite out-and-out starter, as we saw. Um, and, you know... Timu Puki, Todd Cantwell, 
they'll give teams trouble at Carrow Road is what I'm saying. So it was very good for Liverpool to dispatch them in the way that they did. And Mohamed Salah, first player to score in the opening day of five consecutive seasons. Amazing. And two assists at the weekend. So, yeah, pretty solid. we got to get to the bad. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, my first one is Arsenal. Um, I don't know. They just, like, teams are just – we've said this before, but it certainly warrants mentioning now when a newly promoted side can do that to them. Uh, they just don't intimidate their opponents. I, I don't know. Brentford just never really looked afraid. And Arsenal, they kind of justify that feeling in ways like not defending long throw-ins, like not really a complicated. I, I mean, I guess there was kind of like a screen in front that allowed the ball to bounce through, but I don't know. It just, it looked just so simple. Yeah, it was. Uh, so, But yeah. even the first goal, I started to cut across you, Andrew. Even the first goal, it's a long ball. Uh, they don't win the first header. It ends up on the sideline. And I th- was it Ben White who was supposed to be clearing it? I think it was Ben White. And he just shanks the clearance straight back mm-hmm. to a Brentford player instead of like giving it row Z out on, on the right-hand side or clearing it down the field. And Brentford score. And you're right. Um, they, just, they just look soft. Now, they went into the game without Adam, um, Obama Yang and Lacazette available. Mm-hmm. But even still, you felt like they should have more uh, could Saka have started? Probably. By the way, how nice was it for the Brentford fans to, to give Saka a standing ovation and a round of applause coming yeah. onto the field? Um, yeah, very nice. After the abuse he'd taken uh, after the Euro Championship final. So I thought that was that was pretty good. But um, no, Arsenal, Arsenal just looked... I don't know. And the manager comes out tough at the end. Mikel Arteta saying this, this is unacceptable. Performance is not good enough. I don't want to talk about players that weren't here. We have enough players to do X or Y, but uh, Andrew, like I, I texted a friend of mine who's a Leeds United fan. So he would have seen more Brentford in the last few years than I would have. And I said to him, did you get the feeling that Brentford didn't actually play that well? And he said, yeah, they, they didn't really have to. I mean, it's not like there was any moment in the game it's amazing. Lee Dixon, he, about, after about 15 minutes, he said, oh, Arsenal have settled in nicely. You know, they're keeping the ball. They're passing the ball. And then Brentford go and score. And I just thought, that's about the most effective Arsenal have been in this game, is keeping the ball for about 15 minutes, putting passes together, but no penetration. Um, I saw this tweet today as well from Seb Stafford Bloor. Uh, Aaron Ramsdale to Arsenal is such a strange saga a good player, but not really the kind of transfer to dedicate an entire summer to, seemingly at the cost of more pressing issues. It's a goalkeeper. And a goalkeeper that's... He's an okay goalkeeper, but it's not like you're trying to get Manuel Neuer. It's like unbelievable. It is. And, and then I also saw... I don't know... Again, I don't know what to do with transfer rumors, especially this one, but there's a rumor, too, of Barcelona being interested in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Yeah, uh, I saw that. To which I would say, well, who does Barcelona think they are? That they, how are they going to do this? Like they're they're now famous for having no money. They just let the greatest player in the history of the sport. They forced him to leave because they have no money. But they're going to sign Obama Yang? Uh, I don't understand. Uh, I've, I've never understood math. They're going to go and buy a ton of Spanish lottery tickets tonight. That's what they're uh, leaning on. Yeah, that's the whole thing. Godspeed. Uh, but yeah, for, if Arsenal were, were hoping for, you know, because you know, we've talked about Everton being in a state of low morale, Arsenal are right there with them in the low morale cup. And uh, this Your was favorite not, competition for the last 18 months anyway with Tottenham. This was not the way um, to start and change some of those feelings. So 
We will monitor. We will monitor. What do you have? Uh, my first bad is Leeds United. Um, this is the best period of Leeds United football, Andrew, in 20 years. And it also coincides when the team has never been more susceptible to be beaten by its greatest enemy. It's, it's quite something right now. Um, so I told you about my Manchester, Manchester United fans, uh, fan friends, you know, telling me to relax on, on saying United are going to do X or Y this season because it was Leeds. Um, now, fans have been pretty critical afterwards of Marcelo Bielsa uh, and a lot of them wanted Calvin Phillips to start. Now, I don't know what Calvin Phillips load measurement is right now. Like yeah. he played in the Euros. He probably came back late to preseason. I don't know. But a lot of them really thought that he had to play. I was reading Phil Hay in The Athletic, as I said before. Um, this was interesting uh, because... Uh, Robin Cox played in the center of the park and he was bought to be a center back, not a center mid. Uh, Bielsa said afterwards that he liked how Koch played and that Leeds trouble lay in their inability to turn over possession in areas where they could transition and wreak havoc. I think Koch and that were, were, were two problems, but this is what he said that I found interesting. But what was apparent at Old Trafford last season, where Leeds were 4-0 down inside 31 minutes, was that trouble came from Solskjaer's midfielders finding ways to unhinge and run off Bielsa's. Fernandes did likewise yesterday, either side of scoring the first goal. Manchester United's precision and finishing was almost absolute. And for all that Calvin Phillips was a part of the heavy defeat here eight months earlier, he was the clearest, clearest solution to some of the problems that developed. Um, yeah, just... We talked in our previews about Leeds taking that next step into the, the next kind of tier below the top six or the top four Champions League places, however you want to, to phrase it. Mm. And if they keep being so... It's not good enough to say Bielsa plays open, Andrew. We, like I said before, when, they, when they, they learned their lesson and when they had United at Ellen Road, they were much more conservative. They've got to be more conservative on the road against teams that are going to do this to them. And they can't just leave so much space. Like every time Leeds were on the attack in possession of the ball. By the way, Leeds had marginally more possession of the ball in this game. Every time Leeds took it into the United half and there was a turnover, all it took, you felt like the next ball will be a through ball. Someone's going to be away here. Someone's going to be in. United looked that dangerous. And part of that is United have really good attacking players. The other part of it is Leeds make it so easy. Uh, let's see my other one, JJ, I went with Aston Villa for a bad first impression. So I, I, I believe that they would struggle. I had said that. And I also said that I believed Watford would be better than expected. They were the team that I, of Ooh, the, of the promoted, but what I did not believe was that those two things would merge on the opening Saturday of the season and see Villa trailing three nil. Now, eventually they did tighten it and they got it back to three, two with the Ings penalty, um, in the 97th, but like, I just, I was stunned when I saw that scoreline. Um, it was just so much one way traffic in this game uh, until it was kind of too late for Villa. That left side of Villa's defense, Matt Target, it was kind of one of those afternoons where oh, you're really? just like, I didn't see it. Well, I mean, I mean, if I were to tell you, JJ, that Matt Target was taken off at the half and he oh. was not hurt. Oh, Lord. What would you? <laughs> so. It was one of those. It was one of those kind of days. Ismail Yassar is a great player, and he was he 
he played like it, uh, scored a goal, although it was on a wild deflection off of Tyrone Mings, but he was credited with the goal. Um, this was impressive from Watford, but it was really discouraging from Villa. Um, and, you know, I had thought that it, it's going to take time to figure out how to play post Grealish. Um, and Dean Smith was kind of asked about that afterwards. And he's understandably so he's had it. Like he doesn't want to hear that. He was, he was short in his response. He just kind of, he, he sternly was just like, he said, we're over Jack. He's not here anymore. He's not our player. Players are fully aware of that. We've moved on already. Fans have to move on as well because he's not our player. So I'm sure there's frustration with him. Um, and it was, uh, I don't know. It was, it was a discouraging start for Villa. Uh, much like I, you know, I'd say with Arsenal that, you know, any concerns that they'd want to get out of the way early in the season, like what Everton did, you know, they, they erased some early doubts. Uh, Arsenal did not. And Villa entered with doubts as well after losing their best player. And they against Watford, who's predicted to finish bottom. Uh, they did not erase any of them. That was, that was a rough start for them. Uh, I, I should also note that from the debrief highlights that I saw, um, John McGinn may have had one of the great goals that will be forgotten about. Because yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Love a, a nice half volley, like little, no real effort. He kind of just like runs into it and allows the momentum of the ball to do all the work for him. And it was, yeah, that was a great goal. Really was. And you're right. When, when it makes it 3-1 to Watford, it probably will be forgotten. It's up there with Christian Benteke's bicycle kick at Old Trafford. See, I don't think, even though that was in a losing effort, I don't think that one gets forgotten because it's Liverpool United, a bicycle kick. Mm. Uh, I, I, think, I think that one is remembered. I do. Let me give you my final bad, Andrew. Uh, very quickly, uh, Burnley. Um, just a note on a team that both of us think might go down in our conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Athletic did the hopeometer. Are you feeling hope or fear? And they polled fans on this. And uh, they gave a percentage. And third from bottom were Burnley fans with a 70% pessimistic reading in the Hopeometer. So they are pretty pessimistic at Burnley, at Turf Moor, and maybe they have good reason. So Burnley led at home against Brighton uh, from the second minute to the 73rd minute. Now, if if Burnley are leading 1-0 at Turf Moor in the 73rd minute, whether this is, holds up in the stats or not, I kind of feel that Burnley should win the game. Uh, they conceded the equaliser on the 73rd minute and then five minutes later, the winner. Um, that can't happen. And I'm sure this is going to feed into much of the pessimism at Turf Moor when you see a result like that. Because as much as I'm high on Brighton and I think they're a good side and well-managed, that is a game that when Sean Dyche looks at the fixtures... Right, we're starting with Brighton at home. Got to get a result here. Got to do something. And um, it's a bad start. Yeah, the problem is that every team who sees Burnley, like they're going to think the same thing too. Like, okay, yeah, we're we're Brighton and we're on the road at Burnley, but we got a chance to, to leave here with three points. Like uh, Burnley is not, I mean, what they were 17th last year and they really haven't done anything of significance to improve. So... I understand why their were their fans were where JJ on that uh, on They're, that in the optimism pessimism stance uh, stats they are third from bottom. Who's who's I'm below trying, them? I, I had sent that to you. I should know. 
Everton was bottom, right? Everton was rock bottom with an 82% pessimism rating. 82%. Jeez. <laughs> oh, the new season, it brings such hope. No, it doesn't. Uh, Newcastle were uh, second from bottom with 77%. Um, Arsenal in 17th. Oh, Arsenal below Watford is quite something. Man, yeah. Do you, if you have it in front of you, who was at the top in terms of the most optimistic fan bases? Uh, the most optimistic uh, fan bases. Ooh. Uh, so number one was Chelsea. You can see why the reigning okay. European champions with a ninety-eight percent optimism, uh, only two percent pessimism. At uh, two was Crystal Palace. Hmm, that's uh, fascinating, isn't it? Interesting. And they played at the weekend. And like I, Chelsea fans are going to get on my back for not giving a full and thorough analysis of uh, the blue half of London, but I'm not going to, not this week, but Chelsea were very good and Crystal Palace were not. Yeah. Have you ever seen you and I so subdued following a game where Christian Pulisic scored? I know, but, but that's a good place to be. Yeah. Like we can't right. always go mental every time <laughs> Christian Pulisic scores. I know so. at a certain point it almost becomes patronizing. Yeah. It, it really does like oh, an American scored. Well, look at the rarity. <laughs> right. That's fascinating to me that Crystal yeah. Palace fans would be that optimistic coming into the season. I don't know. Maybe like I know you've had questions about this manager and rightfully so. Maybe they just love the idea of a Premier League legend wanting to manage their club. I don't know. Maybe that's the fact that Zaha is still there. They they what we saw from Eze last season. Right. right. Well, Eze, Eze, who I mentioned in the previews, I had forgotten that he has a pretty serious injury and I actually don't know when he's going to be back. Yeah. So, ugh. That's that's yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would. I, I told Crystal Palace fans just just do a little Google. That's all you got to do. There was pretty not great things written about the end for Patrick Vieira at Nice. Why do you want to bring them down? They're excited about their season. And now you're telling you're instructing them to go online and see see the negativity that's being written about their manager and, and let that. You want them poisoned. You want them feeling the way you feel. Don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. That's not true. I have a special place in my heart for Crystal Palace. Any other uh, impressions from the weekend, good or bad, before we take a quick break? No, I got, I got more to say about, about the bad stuff. Uh, bad and good Of course later. you do. Bad and good later, because we're finishing with Red Cards, Man of the Match. A literal device that divides the bad from the good. So maybe you'll be happy then. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we got a few other things. The uh, German Super Cup was today. We should mention how that played out. Um, yeah, still a lot to get to. Like JJ said, red cards, man of the match. That's back as well. So don't go anywhere. Still a lot to do here on Caught Offside. Oh, back now on Caught Offside. Uh, JJ, earlier today, Bayern Munich 3-1 over Borussia Dortmund. They win the German Super Cup. Two goals from Robert Lewandowski. Eh? Eh? Lewandowski. I'm so sick of that. That's one which was funny when he did it. And now everyone just tweets that every time and I'm done with it. Oh, okay. That's Do you know sad. what I'm done? I'm kind of done with. Uh, actually, it's not fair. You admonished me for being very down on Crystal Palace and a much, much better team is Borussia Dortmund. And I don't want to be too much of a downer on them too this early. And this is. As much as it's an important trophy and it was a good game today, it's not like it's not the most important trophy in German football. It's it's you know it's a charity shield style 
yeah thing but i i do think though when these two teams meet like kind of remember what we said after the Concacaf nations league final between the u.s and mexico it's kind of like when they play each other it almost it provides the significance like they they make it significant i know but it also- i i, I kind of feel like byron and borussia dortmund is a little bit of that too it also feels a little bit like it's history repeating because a lot of the mistakes that we saw under the last three Borussia Dortmund managers against Bayern Munich, well, Marco Rose's team, I'm not blaming Marco Rose, his team are making these individual errors as well. Um, Paslik, he had a nightmare early on, got, and he got skinned for the second goal by uh, Alfonso Davies. Um, and then Dortmund just like emerged and played some stunning football for about 25 minutes in the second half. Andrew, they were far and away the better team for most of that second half. Uh, they get a goal back through Marco Royce. It's just brilliant. And then what happens? Akanji, right in front of his own goal, gives it away, and Lewandowski makes it 3-1. And you're like, I, Dortmund are going to be a great side to watch, but I don't know if they'll be actually a good, effective team that's going to win something. You might be right. It also might be unfair to make judgments against them when they're playing against Bayern Munich. Like they're not going to play Bayern every match this season. I know, but like the kind of frailty, the kind of mistake that they that they gave away they've against Bayern, they do it against other teams. Yeah, um, but you know what? It's too early. It's a new manager by match week seven or eight in the Bundesliga. Maybe they'll be much more, much more compact and tough. But like, maybe all the mistakes will be gone. Um, in terms of other results from over the weekend that stood out to me, it's it's so funny. Barcelona are in. Such a dark place right now, having just lost Messi, their financial state is in complete ruin. You know, we're talking about them in our conversation with Simon Cooper. Uh, if you know, he's talking about how those in charge at Barcelona are almost resigned to this fate of sort of entering a period of battling to qualify for Champions Leagues. Um, and then you kind of are scanning through scores over the weekend, and and there's Barcelona four two, still finding a way to score four goals, um, and and I think it was Gerard Piquet who was talking about it. And by the way, he took a massive pay re, uh, reduction to allow all of their signings to become official uh, and be able to participate. But I think he was basically saying that like we're still good, and like you you then look at them and think yeah actually they they still are. Yeah, I mean, the aforementioned PK scored, uh, but they've got like PK, you know, Dest, Frankie De Jong, Bush Getz can still get around, you know, Griezmann, Depay, they, like Pedri. a lot of the a lot of the players, Pedri as well. You know, they they are still good. You know, they should be. They've spent a lot of money to be good. Right. No, you're right. They better be for the state they're in. Right. So. We shouldn't be too surprised, and 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 not that I'm blaming uh, Lionel Messi for for anything, but uh, you know, when you have a team that plays through this talismanic player, and everything must go through him, and he is such a huge figure on the side, some players, including Griezmann, have not blossomed, and maybe maybe there will be a late bloom for for him in his Barcelona career. Yeah, uh, let's see. I had a couple MLS things that I wanted to mention here, if that's all okay. right with you. Uh, the first one, JJ, did you see the end of the Red Bulls Montreal game the other night? Yes, I did. Absolutely absurd. <laughs> Absolutely absurd. So for those who didn't, I would I would tell you to go on YouTube right now and watch it. 
Can you explain it to them? So uh, it's a penalty is committed in what minute? So it's it's in the 90, I want to say 90 plus four or something like that. Earlier. I thought this like dragged on over like an eight minute stretch. Oh, maybe it was. It could have been. Um, I mean, that's, I think that's a subtext to the, the main story. Um, so uh, the defender, Tarek, is, is sliding along the ground. And the ball's crossed behind him and his trailing arm, the ball rolls over and it's given as a penalty, which, all right, fair enough. Let's So, yeah, so the first penalty for Montreal, they step up and it's saved by Carlos Coronel. Um, and it's jubilation. Yep. And then uh, the, whistle, the whistle blows, VAR intervenes. It's retaken. He was off the line. <sighs> all right, it was the right call. Here we go. We'll do it again. And so then up steps, I believe it was Mason Toy for the second penalty. And once again, penalty is saved for a second time. More, even greater jubilation. Yeah. But once again, the whistle blows and instinctively watching it, when you hear the whistle go, and it's now like the 96th minute, um, you think that's it. It's That's the final time whistle. And, and, the Bulls and, are going to escape. With and a Coronel point. did. He ran to the edge of his box with the ball and rolled it out to do a counterattack. And then right. the ref goes, no, I got to go check the screen. Right. They got to about midfield. The whistle blew. And you think it's to end the game. And then I see Red Bull players like throwing their arms up in disgust. And I'm thinking, no, no, not again. They go back to the screen again. He's off his line a second time. He and is. so then the third penalty for Montreal in stoppage time to win the game. It's Victor Wanyama who steps up and it's and, a terrible and, penalty. And it was the worst of the three. Yep. And Coronel gets, it looks like both hands on it. And he shovels it into the top corner, pushes it into his own goal. And so Wanyama <laughs> scores the penalty and Montreal wind up winning. It was just one of the craziest MLS finishes that I've seen maybe ever. Uh, and so the thing I wanted to ask you about, yeah, obviously like, I, I don't know whatever you like i don't think there were any bad calls in there it was very weird to watch it play he out was, the way that it did. he was uh, he was off yeah now um, can, can i just say before you ask the question shep messing on commentary for the red bulls uh he, shep obviously it's it's the, you know he he is the red bull yeah. color announcer so he's going to be biased uh, his view and his view in general with these penalties is that if you allow the stutter okay that you're you're sucking the goalkeeper into this kind of thing. And this so, is what I wanted to ask you about. Mason right. Toy on the second penalty almost comes to a full stop before right. hitting which, the ball. Now, which not, you're not supposed to do. Right. He doesn't fully stop, but damn, does he get close. Mm. And so I was wondering, uh, like, does, is this a thing that needs to be addressed? Um, is that hard? Is that hard to stomach? Like the so, goalkeeper being punished when a player nearly comes to a stop taking his penalty in the run-up. Okay, so I think the important, uh, uh, an important point to make is that a penalty is given uh, for an infraction uh, by the defending team against the opposition. And so with that in mind, the rules have always been to favor the attacker. Okay. So I don't think that they're ever going to um, stop the stutter they could be more vigilant on the full stop, um, but there's a lot of running in place. There's a lot of 1980s dance moves that have been introduced in the last few years. They're not going to get rid of them, Andrew. So as much as I kind of understand what you and uh, the great Chet Messing are saying about the way that it makes the goalkeeper come off the line, 
Um, no, I don't think it should be changed. What a finish. God. Yeah. And it was interesting because the Red Bulls posted, so they wound up being on the losing end of this, yes. but their Twitter account posted the whole sequence of events and, and just with the caption, something like posted without comment, I think is what they wrote. And then they, they have a video of the whole like eight minute stretch of all of this happening. I was trying to figure out from that. What is, what is it they're trying to say that this I, is ridiculous, that this is stupid. Like I, I can ask quite them tell. tomorrow. I can ask them tomorrow night. Cause I'm going to go to my first live professional soccer game. in I don't know how long. Oh, cool. Um, against the uh, Columbus crew at the, uh, at the arena of Red Bull. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So how are you going to ask them? Are you just going to like shout? Are you going to bring like a bullhorn and just like scream questions from the, uh, from the stands? You know me, Andrew. I'm going to break into a place I shouldn't be. And Talk I'm to Kenny to... Dalglish. <laughs> and I'm going to try and, uh, I'm going to try and find out um, what was uh, going on. I know I, I'm going there as a fan, as a supporter of, of good soccer. A um, couple other quick notes. Uh, MLS, this CONCACAF uh, Champions League, the semifinal, the, the scheduling of the semifinal, like we kind of joked about, it's, it was months ago from the quarterfinal. The next leg of the semifinal is in a month, but the Philadelphia Union uh, struggled mightily, um, lost 2-0, heading back to Philadelphia for the second leg. Oh, a tough, late penalty. If they could have gotten out of there down 1-0. Um, by the way, just seeing the Union playing in the Azteca was kind of cool i'll be honest um even in a losing effort um but yeah that the late penalty really hurt and and for var to give it i mean man it was close i think it was the right call uh i think bedoya was it bedoya i'm trying to remember now who um who clipped um a club america player i don't know it was it was a little bit it was tough uh, they did not play well. I wouldn't say that the two nil, even though the penalty was iffy, I wouldn't say that it was an unfair scoreline. Union did not offer much in attack. They went there. It seemed like to try to just get out with a point maybe. Um, and so now they've got, they've got a lot of work to do in the second leg when it goes back to Chester. So, uh, yeah, but they've also got a lot of time to be in good form and be prepared for it. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's true. I, I think it's, I think it was a month from, uh, from the first leg. So um, two other quick ones, Joseph Martinez scored a goal at Mercedes Benz arena in Atlanta, which doesn't sound like a big deal, except for the fact that he hadn't done it since October of 2019. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it was a nice goal. Gave them the win over LAFC who are struggling by the way. I believe they're outside of the playoff picture right now. Should the season end today, which it doesn't, it's not even close. So whatever, but yeah, just a note on, on where they're at Atlanta starting to work back into form. It's taken a little bit, but uh, an important win for them. Martinez seeing him score at home, um, Atlanta starting to feel good again. And then the last one I had here, JJ, the, pff, Seattle and Portland. I mean, every one of these games that these teams play against each other is must watch. This was ridiculous. 6-2 to the Sounders in Portland in probably, I mean, the Sounders in this, in this run, in this era that we're in, they've obviously won a lot of memorable games. If you talk to their fans, I bet they put this one near the top. 100%. To go like, to, like all their postseason triumphs included, I, I bet this is is not far off from some of those that they some of those championship matches they've been in. Or to do that to Portland and a full house at Portland, just yeah. and and also to score one of it's probably going to be goal of the season. It's goal of the season for me already. Uh, Jimmy Madrana's volley. Oh, like come on! Uh, my girlfriend was at the game. She's Whoa. in Portland. She's in Portland at the moment, and uh, 
I can only imagine how silent it was at full time. God, you're like the first family of MLS. She's out in Portland going to Timbers games. You're going to Red Bull Arena tomorrow. This is amazing. Yeah. Before we get out of this segment, there's two things uh, I want to talk about, Andrew, uh, that that deserve mention. Okay. Um, well, real quick, though, before we get off of the Sounders-Timbers match, I just wanted to say two other quick things about it. Okay. First of all, Raul Rui Diaz. So he's now in the lead for the Golden Boot. He just won MLS Player of the Week. Like, it's time that like MVP level respect is being put on his name because he has got to be in the conversation. His free kick was amazing, and he's having an incredible season for the Seattle team. So props to him. And conversely, on the other side of it, look, some of these goals that that were scored by Seattle, I almost don't know how you even defend them. But having said that, Portland do have problems defensively. They've conceded 35 goals this season, worst in the West. Uh, so they, they do have some issues that they have to figure out back there. But um, yeah, that, that's all I had on that. Just what a, what a game that turned out to be. Yeah. And speaking of MLS or kind of related to MLS, uh, Joe Scally, uh, who briefly played for NYCFC, made his Bundesliga debut for uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Bayern Munich at the weekend at left back, not his more natural right back. And he gave Lee Rossane a tough time um, in a generally solid performance for the 18-year-old Long Island native. So, so I didn't see it, but the reviews that I saw were really positive. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, this is him speaking afterwards. We're very happy. I thought it was a good team performance. Now we just build on that for the rest of the season. The new coach, who's Addy Hutter, came in with some really good ideas. I think he's a really good coach. What he did with Frankfurt last year. So I think we could have a great year this year. We want to win the cup, win the league, and end in a Champions League spot, which is our goal every year. So nice. Joe Scally. Very cool. Very, very cool. cool. And um, I'm already looking into his Irish heritage to see, can I nab him from under the nose of the usement? Boy, you are a traitor among us. The other story um, also with a, uh, a very German, uh, probably the, the most German uh, bent is Der Bomber. Gerd Muller passed away on Sunday, age 75. He had been, uh, living with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, we're, this is one of the few remaining things that we are too young for Andrew as we get older, but we probably don't appreciate how good he was or how he kind of dominated the landscape of goal scoring in Europe in the, in the seventies. Um, Jonathan Wilson wrote a lovely piece about him in sports illustrated, which I will post on Twitter and Instagram, but he said Robert Lewandowski may have broken his single season Bundesliga record of 40 goals last season, but Muller's all-time tally of 365 remains the standard, but he was a lot more than that. The goals obscure everything else, but to watch, for instance, his performance in West Germany's 3-1 win at Wembley Stadium in 1972 is to be struck by how involved he was in the general play, holding the ball up and linking play. He was the poacher but also a fine all-round striker. So um, sad to see him go at 75, which is not that old these days. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was uh, he was amazing. And again, we're just too young to really um, get to grips with how great he was. One other thing. <laughs> um, so I admitted something from the mailbag last week, and I just wanted to catch you uh, on the spot with it, Andrew. And just get like a stream of consciousness from you. Just the, 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 the answer that springs into your, into your mind when I ask this question. Are you ready? Yes. 
<laughs> what is the worst interview we've ever done? Oh, this is mean. We don't have to name names, but we can talk about it, right? All right. So I have, I do have one in mind, but I don't, I feel bad saying it. I don't, I don't really want to say it. Okay, cool. It's a, it's an MLS player um, who did spend time in the Premier League. Okay. Not, <laughs> no, it didn't go I've well. Such, I, I mean, it's no one's fault. Right. Well, <laughs> Uh, do you know what I'm thinking? I, I know exactly. Who you're, I can. I, do you want me to say his name? I, but like, we ask bad questions. You and I were terrible. He was low energy too. We are not good people. I was stop it. This. It's interesting that you are you. So you thought of the same one? Oh, exactly the same one. Wow, amazing. You and I. It's like we share a brain. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He spent a bit of time at Stoke. Okay. Went on loan yeah. at Barnsley. There. We leave All it at right. that. We leave it at that. <laughs> That's that's interesting, but I'll have to think more. I wonder if there's some others. There's I, another. I, most of the interviews we do on this podcast, I I really love the people that come on. All of like our in the club guests are have always been great. Um, there's you know, another we, one I thought of today, and and uh, I'm reminding you now of this one. Okay. And uh, it doesn't mean he's not a nice guy. It doesn't mean you are not a nice guy. It was just an interview that was ill conceived and went bad. That's all I'm saying, and it popped straight into my head because. You share this uh, interview experience with with Ken Early. So he was on Second Captain's podcast today talking about when he went to NYCFC, he wanted to talk to Patrick Vieira. Vieira wasn't available, so the media people gave him Tommy McNamara. And oh. it, it, did not, it did not go well. You're right. Right, yeah. And yeah, we, we went to an NYCFC training and we spoke yeah, to him. Yeah, exactly. And it was in... It was in, uh, it was in uh, the city university of New York campus that was before they had their own place in uh, Orangeburg or wherever it is. So um, Ken had the same experience and I was like, Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> we had the exact same experience. We went up there. We were uh, invited up there actually. And um, in fairness, there wasn't a ton of options. And because like, you know, Pierlo didn't speak English or, or great English at all. And, and uh, I don't think that uh, David Villa was even, training that day so they said tommy mcnamara and we said sure interesting we'll we'll go with that and i can't remember what question i asked or you asked but he just looked at us like we were morons and not wrong was he was genuinely offended by the oh yeah that's not true i don't even know what you're talking about but i don't remember ever feeling that way i just remember when it was over being like well all right that, that happened and, and then the, the equipment we were using didn't work at all. And we lost the interview. <laughs> uh, good times. We anyway, are professional. Yeah. And uh, the final thing is uh, someone contacted me to tell me that our caught offside uh, Reddit has 126 followers already. So there you I go. Gotta log, I got to log on. I've, like I said, I've never been on Reddit before. I'm curious to see. All, I'm afraid. All, learn all about it. I'm afraid of what people will say about me. I mean, I shouldn't be. I'm Irish. You, no, you're, people, you're... people talk behind. I'm Irish. So Irish people talk behind my back all the time. That's just the way it works in Ireland. But I, it would still hurt me to see what they say about me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good point. You know, I, I certainly can't handle that. Apparently it's good natured. It's a good thing that we've chosen public, <laughs> like public interfacing job. 
We're like, and, and yet we're horrified by criticism. I'm joking. I just don't want people. I am to, not. Know. I'm deadly serious. I just. I'm want just worried they'll 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 notice my fat head and they'll call me fatty fat fat head, and I can't take that. And uh, I, I noticed your haircut, by the way. Your head isn't quite as fat. They took a lot of hair off. They did. They did. They sheared me like a sheep. Yeah. Uh, but now I, I I do feel as if the fat is expanding, and uh, I have a head like a bucket. So that's uh, or forward slash caught offside pod for uh, if you're a redditor. Can we get to the red cards and men of the match already? All right, oh my right, God, please. JJ. Sorry, Jeez, sorry. I was sorry. ready 10 minutes ago. I know, we, we I know. had somebody tweet to us saying, like, uh, this would be a great suggestion for red card, except you don't do them anymore. But you and were, you know what? That person was right. It's been yeah, weak. but you were blathering on about Joseph Martinez scoring a goal once in 1990, and I, I didn't know what you were talking about. No, he scored his first goal at home in, in almost two years. <laughs> I'm mocking you. Come on. Red card, JJ. I'm just going to read this here from the BBC. This is not a nice story. That is why it is my red card. Uh, Major League Soccer's Vancouver Whitecaps say three academy players were assaulted at an outdoor gathering on Saturday in what the side believes to be a racially motivated attack. One player was taken to the hospital, but is expected to make a full recovery following surgery. Uh, Suspect was arrested at the scene. The Whitecaps released a statement on a pretty strong one, as you would expect. Enough is enough, they said. Such disgusting behavior has absolutely no place in our community. The club added, we are heartbroken and sickened by the allegations and strongly condemn all forms of discrimination, racism, and hate. We will do everything to support our players affected and urge the toughest punishment possible for those responsible. JJ, one of the players was stabbed in this incident. Uh, Police have yet to confirm what started this fight or if Police have yet to say if it was racially motivated, but suggesting from the Whitecaps statement, it seems that it is. Uh, police do not believe that the victim or the attacker knew one another. Horrible story. Um, uh, you know, in their statement, the Whitecaps called for the toughest punishment possible for those responsible. That is a sentiment that we certainly agree with. So, um, be curious how this how this plays out. But yeah, really scary stuff. Um, so hopefully everyone is okay. Uh, it seems like that is going to be the case, but. Yeah, scary stuff. What do you got? Uh, reports of Liverpool fans singing a certain homophobic song and directing it toward Chelsea Loney, uh, Billy Gilmore at the weekend at Carrow Road um, have made the news. Um, plenty of outlets are reporting it. Kick It Out have spoken out on the issue. Um, this slur that they sing is from pretty much the same stable of abuse as the chant that Mexican soccer fans steadfastly and bizarrely refuse to drop at their international games. So I think that gives you a flavor of what this is. Um, just kind of disappointing. We were, we were talking about how great it is to have fans back, but there, there is the other side that a lot of this stuff is brought into the ground. And um, look, it's not all Liverpool fans that sing it. No. Um, I was listening to the Anfield Rap, a segment uh, where they addressed it uh, a couple of years ago. And they basically said the same thing as I'm saying right now. This, this Chelsea song needs to die a death. Um, that's not okay to sing it. And if we're going to call out Mexican fans who just won't stop doing it, um, we should call out the same um, when Liverpool fans sing this homo- homophobic chant, which has been going on for decades, but that doesn't make it right. So no. knock it on the head. Absolutely. Uh, let's see, JJ. My woman of the match has to be, I mean, this was as easy as it gets. Carly Lloyd, no other way to say it, one of the greatest Soccer players in American history announced her retirement yesterday. Now she is going to finish out the uh, NWSL season. And I believe she has four more friendlies scheduled in the fall for the U S women, but then that will be that just going through a bit of her resume. I mean, it reads like a hall of fame plaque as you would expect 
100, uh, 128 career international goals, fourth most in women's national team history for the U.S. Uh, she holds the team record for most Olympic goals with 10, third in team history for women's World Cup goals, also with 10. Uh, Carly Lloyd tied with Mia Hamm for the most U.S. women's national team hat tricks with eight. One of those hat tricks, by the way, occurred within 16 minutes, the first 16 minutes of the 2015 World Cup final against Japan. Um, it's as good of a 16 minute stretch as I think any U S soccer player has ever had going back. I was, I was rewatching the highlights and uh, she scored twice in the first, what was it like twice in the first four minutes. And then the way she capped off her hat trick in the 16th, I, I have the audio here, JJ, because it's just one of those goals that you never forget. This was Carly Lloyd in the women's world cup final in 2015 against Japan to make it four nil in the 16th minute from 56 yards out. JP Delacamera on the call. Lloyd with Morgan streaking. She's chipping the I'll never forget that. You and I, we were watching that together in studio, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man. The goalkeeper, I I feel so sorry because the goalkeeper did the exact same thing as uh, when Xabi Alonso scored the one for Liverpool against Newcastle, where, oh, I'm caught out here. I'm caught out here. And the legs get tangled and and that's it. It's in the net. And she she gets like a fingertip to it and knocks it onto the post, but then it deflects right in. And, uh, it's just one of the great soccer goals in American soccer history. I saw this tweet from Heather O'Reilly, which I thought was cool. Um, and it was, it was from that game. She, she tweeted this and said, I'll never forget halftime of the 2015 final. We went into the locker room and I whispered to Carly, dude, you just scored a hat trick in a world cup final. And one was from midfield. What in the actual, and she smiled and then her eyes got serious again, an absolute beast. That's Carly Lloyd. One of the greatest competitors that us soccer has ever produced. Um, you know, I, I sometimes wonder that about great athletes. Are they able to appreciate what they're doing or are they just so driven that like they're only able to think about what's next or what they need to do to remain at that level? Well, I hope because Carly Lloyd, I think, strikes me as someone like that. And I, I, you know, hopefully now when her career ends, she will be able to appreciate what she's done for U.S. soccer, for women's sports in this country, because uh, she's a stone cold legend. There's no question about that. Props to her on a, an amazing career. Yeah, that's truly amazing. Um, my man of the match, uh, Thomas Frank, Brentford Football Club, and Woody. Um, you'll have seen at the end those. Um, it, it was great that NBC did that thing that they often do, where they let the cameras run. There's no commentary, and you just watch the crowd. And you watched Thomas Frank, the uh, Brentford manager, walk around at the end of that one nil win over Arsenal, and just absorb the applause and, and give his own applause and congratulations to the Brentford fans. And you'll have seen Thomas Frank embrace with two hands, a young fan as he did his rounds of the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that young fan's name is Woody. Uh, Mundial tweeted a link to a post uh, by their journalist, James Bird, who met Woody two years ago. Um, Woody is a mainly nonverbal kid with Down syndrome. And going to watch Brentford changed his life. Um, so if you can go on Mundial's Twitter and click on the link, it takes you to an Instagram where there's a full post and an interview with Woody's mom, uh, Natalie. And um, it's just the most beautiful story because we talk all the time about football and what it means to people. But football and the routine of football and the joy of it 
change this kid's life. Um, this is his mother talking. That routine is a massive part of it. My hope as a mom is that when he's older, that he'll be able to go in on his own and that it'll always be a part of his life now and that he'll continue to be accepted. And if I'm not able to take him for whatever reason, that he'll still be able to go. Now, of course, Brentford moved grounds recently and Woody got into Brentford at their old stadium. So moving grounds could have been catastrophic, mm. but Brentford, Nat, and the people around Woody made sure it wasn't. Um, and this is James talking again. To see Woody celebrate like he did after Brentford beat Arsenal at their new ground on Friday night made me glow. He was ecstatic, loved, comfortable. A Friday night win surrounded by the smells and sounds that make you feel at home. The type of win everyone deserves. The type of win that Woody, for who going to watch Brentford changed his life, especially deserves. Um, to say that one got me was an understatement. And, you know, Woody is nonverbal, mainly nonverbal. But his mom talks about how he connects through, he's very tactile and through touch. He, he communicates with the world. And for Thomas Frank to go over and acknowledge this and to know who he is and know what it meant to him, and to grab him by the hands and bring him into that moment, a, a kid who is different in many different ways, in many ways to the people around him, but this connection to show that he's connected and he's all the same and he shares in this as an equal is just blew me away. Um, brilliant. That was awesome. I mean, everybody who watched that was clearly touched by it. Um, those scenes there in general, I mean, everything you just said with, with Woody was awesome. Um, you know, just like the, the scene of uh, that kind of elderly, not that old, but like kind of an older gentleman with tears streaming down his face oh, yeah. singing and just like, you know, because if you're a Brentford fan and this team hasn't been in the top flight since the forties, like you probably just never thought that this could happen. Like this just is like not a thing that happens to your club. Um, and so for them to be living it now and to beat Arsenal and, and to understand to, because they live in the same city to understand how enormous Arsenal football club are. Yeah. It like we made, we just made fun of them early on, but like they are a colossus and for Brentford to be doing this is amazing, but put that aside, whatever division they're in, what a little club to have, because let's not talk up too much about meaning and Premier League. This club has spent the majority of its time never being within a shouting distance of the Premier League. Mm -hmm. And they've survived and they've given hope to people and they've given uh, joy to people. And uh, that is just amazing. And uh, it, was, it was there for the whole world to see on Friday night. Good stuff. That's as good a note as any to end this podcast on. I think Beautiful. so too. Uh, I enjoyed this thoroughly. So good to have all these leagues back and kicking once again. Uh, we'll, of course, be back next week with another edition of Caught Offside. This was, as always, awesome. One of the highlights of my week, consistently and always. JJ, to you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. See ya. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 